I want to schmooze once and that's it. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to pre-schmooze before the actual podcast starts. No, definitely not. I don't want to waste stuff without recording, you know? (laughs) I don't want to waste a good conversation. Hey there. Welcome to Kim Moffat is a Fan. My guest today is literal Disney prince Scott Weinger. Scott is an actor who did the voice of Aladdin in Disney's Aladdin. He also played Steve Hale on Full and Fuller House, as well as Officer Ruben in What I Like About You. And while he continues to act, he has also transitioned his career into television writing, writing for shows like What I Like About You, Privileged, Blackish, Gallivant, The Muppets, and The Hookup Plan. Scott is such a nice guy, and I had so many questions, more than I thought I would actually, about what it's like to be a Disney prince and everything that came with being the voice of Aladdin. We also talk about our time working together on Fuller House, and both of us working, not together, but both working for Dan Fogelman shows, and how great Dan is. So please enjoy Scott Weinger. You just celebrated your 15-year anniversary. Yeah, back in November, we've, we, I've been married for 15 years, which is crazy because that makes me feel so incredibly old. <laughs> <laughs> I, how did you guys meet? So my wife and I met. Uh, it's a really boring story. I, I wish we had some amazing Perfect. story. Like No, the uh, more boring, the we, better. <laughs> we, went to, uh, we met at a party. It's funny because we met at a party. It was a Warner Brothers party party for the Emmys. It was, I think it was either the night of the Emmys or the night before the Emmys or something. And for some reason, I guess, I guess I don't know if that had to do with, well, I guess maybe the strike moved things this year, but the Emmys were in the summer back then. So this was in August of 2006 before you were born, Kim. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, just a twinkle and, in the eye. <laughs> yeah, but we both got, it was funny. Neither one of us was feeling like going to a party that night. Like she remembers being kind of dragged to it and I remember being dragged to it and I remember my friends were like uh get dressed we're gonna go to this fancy Emmys party and I said oh guys I'm like already like just chilling at home in my pjs or whatever and they said don't be ridiculous um I said fine pick me up and they said no you have to come to us I was like what and they said oh and by the way you have to wear a suit I said a suit like it was just all bad and I like I came so close to not going but I went and uh, I was with a buddy of mine, and he saw her from across the room. It was a very crowded party. And he goes, oh, I know her. That's Rena. She's really cute. I'll introduce you. And uh, so that, that was literally it. And we marched nice. over there, and he introduced us. And that was it. I love that. That's great. <laughs> That's, um, I feel like I, I love that way of meeting. Now it's like, it's all, you know, it's like such a sweet story. And it's, I know you said it's very simple and like you, you said it was boring, but it's not, it's like up to chance. Like what if you had not gone to that party, then would you have met her that night? Would you have met her later? You know, all these kind of things where now it's I'm like, like, you know, I think about that all, I think we both think about that all the time, which is that like, we both worked at Warner brothers at the time and we would, how many times did we walk by each other on that lot? Like how many times were we waiting online next to each other at the commissary or at the Starbucks, you know what I mean? On the lot. Yeah. Um, and had no clue, you know, um, how many times did she walk by and I like checked her out, not realizing that I was checking out my future wife. Oh my God. That's adorable. <laughs> <I know. laughs> but yeah. So, but it's crazy to think that we were sort of, our orbits were very sort of close and we knew each other. We had a lot of, 
people in common who we both work in the same industry. And, um, yeah. So yeah, it was, it's really, you know, I guess it's exact. It's like when two TV writers meet that both work at the same studio, it's not exactly like, how did this happen? You know, but, um, <laughs> but it, it's, it's really cool. Nevertheless. And I'm really glad it happened. Yeah. And I hope she yeah. is. Too. <laughs> I hope so. Also, I'm sure she is. What yeah. were you working on over at Warner brothers? When I met her, I think it was right around the time I was working on the show, the sitcom, the Amanda Bynes and Jenny Garth sitcom, What I Like About You. I know that show very well. I had, um, when I was in film school, I had like invented my own internship and I would just call up shows and be like, can I come watch you guys make an episode of television? And Uh um, they would say, some people would say, no, that's an absolutely bonkers thing to ask. And what I like (laughs) about you was one of the shows that said yes. So it was like season three or four. Um, You know what that means? It means you and I crossed paths on the Warner Brothers lot too, without knowing each other. Who knew? That's wild. wild. I think I definitely would have known if I had seen you. Sure. Well, you know what's weird about that, by the way, is that you probably wouldn't have because I was just like a schmo carrying a script and a pencil and, you know, but also yeah. um, that was shot, I believe, on stage 25 at Warner Brothers. And who knew that you and I would be uh, co-workers right across the street at stage 24, however many years later. Yeah, that's wild. Small world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? Um, you know what? Actually, before I start talking, speaking of Fuller, before I get to there, mm-hmm. first thing I want to not forget to ask you about, biggest project that I was like, when Scott comes on, this is all I want to talk about this whole episode. Okay. Barney Live in New York City. Tell what? me everything. <laughs> Do you know Barney, about that? <laughs> what is that? Where, where is it, where, does it say somewhere that I worked on that? Yeah, it says you're an uncredited um, kid. I, I guess kid something called a teddy bear on Barney live in New York city. Oh my God. That is not true. I, I That's think that, that, is some, that is some internet stuff. Wait, just out of curiosity, where does it like, what is the source of this information? IMDb. Wait, really? Yeah. Something around. I got to check. You know, the funny thing is it is possible that, cause I mean, I started acting in a uh, Florida when I was growing up, when I was eight years old in third grade. And so now I'm 108. So it's been a really long time. (laughs) There are definitely things that I've done that I I don't remember. But I think I would remember if I was on Barney Live, especially because Barney wasn't really a thing when I was a kid. It's like was old, you know, it came around when I was like a teenager or something. And um, but there's always a universe where I was in New York doing press for something, and they were like, in between this and this, we're going to pop in, and you're just going to wave hello on Barney Live. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. I don't think I would have been uncredited teddy bear. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get it fixed for you on IMDb. Yeah. Don't you worry. <laughs> the biggest bummer, my biggest IMDb regret um, is that uh, – so now that I've, I've been a TV writer for many years, as you know, and um, you know when you're a TV writer and you also have a history of acting – it's like not uncommon for shows that I'm working on for them to be like, oh my God, you know, it'd be funny if you played that part. So like yeah. even going all the way back to what I like about you, we were, uh, it was the thing that I had pitched that involving a, a, a couple, Amanda Bynes and her boyfriend are breaking up in the middle of the street and they're like, maybe we should just break up. And then before they do, they get mugged and they end up in a police station and the policeman is taking down notes and he says, what's, uh, what's your, what's the relationship? And they're like, Oh, we didn't know the guy. It's like, no, no, what your guys, how do you guys know? And then they're like, we don't know what we are. And then, so I sort of doctor fill them back to, into a relationship. And oh. 
But when I pitched it, I wasn't thinking that I would be the cop. I was just thinking that would be funny. And then um, I remember my boss going, uh, you know what? Why are we auditioning people? You should just be the cop. And But anyway, all this is to say that's happened many times on a lot of different shows. And yeah. uh, every once in a while, you'll take it and it'll just be like for fun. So the role will be literally like man or dad. You know what I mean? And then yeah. it's a bummer because then you have credits. If you go back far enough in my acting, it'll be like Aladdin, you know? And then it'll be like, what's he up to now? And it'll say, oh God, he played dad on that sitcom. Like barely, <laughs> didn't even have a name. And oh, so I, it looks really guy. bad. So I told from now on, whenever I take one of those like friend, funny, inside joke, Easter egg gigs, they got to give me a name or, or an adjective like handsome dad. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's very fair. Yeah. It's just dad or man. That's just not what you want people to see. Not as bad as anywhere on Barney, but. No, I think that's the one. I think you should, if there was a way to highlight that role, I think we got to yeah. get that actually moved up to the top. That's true. You know him as the teddy bear from Barney. <laughs> Uncredited teddy bear. That is some hilarious. I have to go, you know, I have to say there have definitely been times in my life when I self-Googled a bunch. You know nice. what I mean? Or like I was yeah. checking my Wikipedia to make sure nobody put anything weird in there. And I have not done that. And I haven't like, I've neglected all of that stuff um, beyond what is probably reasonable. And I really should go back and look and make some changes. I think so. This is what happens when you let it slip. You turn your back for one second and suddenly yeah. now you're a teddy bear and Barney. I mean, I, uh, I'll tell you geez. one thing and maybe, you know, you're one of the, you're of a younger generation. You're very techno savvy. You have a podcast. I have no idea how to do this. I hate the picture of myself on Wikipedia. Oh, like I think we could get that fixed. How do you change it? I don't know how to do it. I don't know. I just feel like I could figure it out for you. Whoever I want to figure this out. I don't know who put that picture there, but they hate me. They did okay, it. Well, now I got to see what it is. It's just, I look sweaty. I'm like, you know what? It was at some convention. I was at like a fan convention or like a Comic-Con and I'm on stage and I'm like talking and it's like a terrible hair day and I'm sweaty. Uh, you know what I mean? Like my skin looks bad. Like it, it's like whoever put that was like, it was like a screw you buddy. We got to Yeah. It's, it's listen, it's not terrible, but you've looked, you're, you look better than normal. You normally look better than in that photo. So let's find a way to just Thank put your best foot forward. For yeah, I wouldn't mind if it was just an average picture of me, but it's a below average yeah. picture of me. It's not. But you know what? You look excited to talk to people. I guess so. <laughs> we'll find the positive in there somewhere. Yeah, exactly. um, people are there to see you. Mm -hmm. That's very exciting. That is nice. Do you like going to all the conventions? I do. I really fun. like it. You know, I didn't think it's, it's funny. That was a big surprise to me because I didn't think I would really ever like that because there's mm -hmm. so many people and I just didn't know what to expect. And you know, who was always telling me to go was um, Linda Larkin, who's a very dear old friend of mine who plays the voice of Princess Jasmine in Aladdin. So nice. I've known her for 30 plus years and she started going to them um, because, you know, the Disney princess circuit is like a really big deal. So she, she goes to these fan conventions with like, beauty and the beast people and the little mermaid and like, you know, like all these, like these Disney legend voices. And, um, she like sort of wore me down. She's like, just try one, you know, like they're a little bit exhausting because you talk to thousands of people, you know, yeah. it's really, it's an intense couple of days, but, um, at the same time, you know, you're with a bunch of friends. She's like, just try it. And so I went to one, I think in Texas a few years ago, it was during Fuller house. 
And, um, and it was actually fun. So now I try to go to them a couple times a year. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. I've been there with um, our full house, fuller house cast a couple times. I know. Every time I see the pictures, I'm like, man, what a party this looks like. You guys out there in Connecticut. Yeah. Doing- <laughs> yeah I love it. You know, we make it, you know, it's fun because it's sort of, it feels like work, even though it's fun because you're meeting a lot of fans and everybody's very gracious and they're, they burst into tears and they bring you presents. It's really nice. But at the same time, it's grueling because you don't want to like, you want to have energy and enthusiasm with every person that you meet. And yeah. that's a lot of people. And then, but you know, we, we always go out for a really nice dinner, you know, the whole group, you know, we make it like a really nice occasion when we're all together. So it's fun. Yeah, that is fun. Um, I have so many questions about being a Disney prince. So sure. many, like more than I really thought as I, as I started writing them down, I was like, well, what about this? Um, first thing I just, how does it feel to be a Disney prince? You know, I feel like I'm so old. I'm a prince emeritus at this point. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's not true. Look, Prince King Charles um, was a prince until his 70s. Yeah. So hopefully I'll be a prince for even longer. But, um, <laughs> but he, um, but I, you know, I, it's really cool. I have to say it's really, it, it was cool from the very beginning, from the very, you know, it's, and it never lost its cool factor. And although it's even gotten cooler as the years have gone on, because like, for example, when my son, who's now 14, but when Uh-oh. he saw Aladdin for the first time, he was maybe, I don't know, eight years old or something, seven years old. I can't remember. It was, he was a little bit on the late side, but um, I mean, what's cooler than that? Like your kid realizing that you're Aladdin. I don't know. It was awesome. In fact, there was a, um, I guess when he was a little kid now, I guess this is going back to, I think it was 2015. He, um, so, you know, he was a youngster but he had not yet seen the movie and Aladdin was being re-released. This was before Disney plus existed when you could just watch it whenever you wanted. It was like they would re-release a new edition of the DVD or Blu-ray or whatever. And yeah. so we had a meeting to talk. It was like a, with the publicity people, like how things we could do to promote the new release. And I casually mentioned like without thinking about it, I, that, that, that my son had never seen it before. And they said, wait a minute, your kid has never seen Aladdin. And so they came up with this idea to throw a huge Aladdin screening on the Disney lot for him and his friends. And they had a huge oh. carnival, like an, like an uh, Aladdin style carnival and with games and stuff. And then a big screening on that, in that big theater on the lot. And it was super magical. Like it couldn't have wow. been a cooler experience for me. And I hope for him too. I think he, he was really little, but he still remembers it. That's so cool. Yeah. Was he able to like put it together? Because um, I, I don't have kids, but my one of my best friends, um, her husband, who's also a very good friend of mine, is a voiceover director. Uh-huh. And they have a seven-year-old who is like kind of starting to put the pieces together a little mm-hmm. bit. But um, it, it's been like interesting to watch her try and understand like that, that uh, cartoon that you're watching, that's this person like mm-hmm. that you've before or that's in this other show that you watch and I try know. to watch well, you know, it's funny there's a certain age where they start to get it because there's a thing that parents do and they don't mean to do it but it's like i've seen it ten thousand times where they'll say hey timmy this is my friend he's aladdin and timmy will look up at me and be like that is an old man like what are you talking <laughs> about that is not <laughs> aladdin and like they're yeah. just they, they don't they don't yet understand that that uh that old man could possibly be allowed. But but my son was exactly the right age. And also it was weird because he was watching it with all of his best friends who were growing up in LA in the context of 
the entertainment industry and everybody's mom and dad is involved in the entertainment industry. So, you know, um, they all, they all get it, you know, they all understand like, Oh, that your dad does the voice of oh, my dad's a director. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. That's cool. You know, my mom's a writer, you know, that sort of, thing, you know, so, yeah. it, but, but absolutely it was a magical time. Like if he had seen it a little bit younger, he might've not understood um, yeah. that it was like a job that dad did. That was cool. Or if maybe if we lived in, not Hollywood. If we lived somewhere else and we're no longer involved in the entertainment industry, it would be sort of weirder. But the fact that we're out here still doing this stuff. In fact, I think when, when they had that screening for him on the Disney lot, I was working on the Disney lot at the time on something else. Oh, so wow. it was like he had been there before. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> when you um, were, how old were you when you were doing the voice? Oh my God. When I first auditioned for Aladdin, I was 15 years old. And oh um, I know I was working, I was already a kid actor and I was working on a sitcom out here in LA at the time. And my mom said to me, Oh, by the way, after work, you have an audition. I said, what's it for? She said, Oh, some cartoon. And uh, <laughs> we had no idea what it, you know, that it was a big deal. And yeah. it was really actually a very fortunate thing for me that I didn't know it was a big deal. Cause if I knew it was a big deal, I would have been nervous and I probably wouldn't have done such a good job with the audition. But because I just thought it was some random cartoon the stakes felt pretty low. So I was able to just sort of be myself and not worry. Yeah. Once you guys were recording it though, did it feel like, Oh, this is going to be a big thing or did it still kind of, because uh, I don't know, it's voiceover. So it's the production is a little bit different. I would imagine. Did it sort of feel like your own little troop working together on this one project? And then well, you know, I, it was interesting. It was two, there were two things that made me realize what a big deal it was going to be. The first one is that my best friend who was my best friend at the time, and remains my best friend, even though he lives in Florida, we still talk like every day. But he, um, we grew up together and went to college together. But he, he was an animation fanatic. He was like, even at age 15, he was already like an, a historian wow. of animation. He knew every person. And so when I sort of said, oh, I think I might have the part in this cartoon. It's getting pretty close. And he said, are you kidding me? And he rattled off. He knew the names of all the animators and the directors and everybody involved. And, um, and then he forced me, well, no, this is, I'm screwing up the timeline, but he, he was my friend who had forced me when we were 13 to see the little mermaid because it came out and it was like this incredible work of art. And it was like, you know, totally like revived the fortunes of Disney animation and all that stuff and started this whole new uh, generation. And, um, he, he's like, we have to go see this thing. And I was like, that's a girl movie. You know, I was so I didn't want to be caught dead seeing a girl movie. He's like, trust me. And of course it was magical and amazing and blew me away. And yeah. when I got the part of Aladdin, he goes, you know, it's the same guys. It's Ron Clemens and John Musker. The guys who made the little mermaid are making this movie, you know, and it's yeah. the same anime, you know, the guy who, um, Glenn Keane, who was the head animator, he was the animator for the character of Ariel was the animator for my character. Like it was all, it was like, it was really cool. It was a, it was a, I, I, it was, it was fun experiencing it through his eyes. Cause he was, he, he knew who, what I was dealing with. That's cool. That's really special. I love that. Yeah. Um, do you do the voice for all the Aladdin things? I know you do it for the shows and the video games and stuff, but like the toys at the park. Yeah. I've done all of that. And you know, cool. and for all these years, you know, I mean, whenever, you know, and it's funny because there's always more things because in those days we would do in the, in the early days we would do video games and toys, you know, a book where you press a button and you hear Aladdin say carpet, let's go, you know, and you, <laughs> <laughs> but then 
every few years the technology would evolve. There'd be a new computer game, or and then I, you know, Kingdom Hearts and all these things, and um, or there would be a new parade at the Disneyland in Paris, or you know what I mean. And they need you to come yeah. in and say a few lines. And um, as a result, I've been doing Aladdin recording sessions my whole life, wherever I was. When I went off to college, I would go to Boston or New York and do you know. When I, I even even when I was doing a semester abroad in um, in Paris, they were like, "We need you." And I said, "Well, I'm in Paris." They said, "No problem." And they took me to some studio in Paris, and I recorded there. You know, all over. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's kind of cool, and it follows me around. And I still do it less frequently now. I mean, my theory is is that I, they don't need me as often because I've said every word in the English language for them, so they can just <laughs> pull it. You know, my agent will call and they'll say, "Oh, they're doing a new video game." Um, I said, great. So when do I have to be? Oh, you don't have to be there. They're just going to pull it. So, you know what I mean? So I'm like, oh, so basically I do nothing and they pay me. And um, he's like, yeah. I was like, well, this is a great phone call. Thank you. Um, That's the gig right there. It was a great gig. I mean, you know, the funny thing is winning, if getting the part of Aladdin was like winning the lottery in a lot of ways, you know, but like the most important way was just being associated with this movie that is so beloved it's crazy to me when people come up to me and they know exactly who i am from aladdin you know they'll recognize i'm like how do you recognize me i'm an old dude and um people will come up to me and they'll burst into tears or they'll come up to me and they'll be like look i have an aladdin tattoo you know what i mean i get that all the time like it was a really meaningful uh you know movie and character for people for generations now you know to the point where i mean how many generations of kids have grown up with that as like a, a part of their childhood? You know, yeah. it's, it's weird to me how many people are so impacted by Aladdin who were nowhere near being born when it came out in 1992. I'm sure that includes you. No, I, um, I watched it when it came out. I had the VHS. I'm trying to think. I have a couple of the old like clamshell VHS. Oh, wow. Um, but Aladdin is not one of them, but I believe from you, I have a Blu-ray of Aladdin. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Because yeah. it done a re-release during Fuller. Exactly. I think you, exactly. you were very generous in, in, in having a, handing a couple of them out. Handing but, them out. No, I, I, have, have an Aladdin DVD. Have a, yeah. Well, you know, the funny <laughs> thing is, did I sign it for you? No, you didn't sign it for me. So That's guess good. what's going to happen next time I see you in yeah, person? Next time I see you, I got to sign it for you. But, you know, it's yeah. we did a really cool thing. And I can't remember. I think it was during Fuller House because it was definitely before the pandemic. So it was probably in between Fuller House seasons or something. We made a little documentary and it was called Aladdin on Aladdin. And it was basically um, a half hour documentary that was like a bonus feature that came out with the Blu-ray. Basically, like, what's it like? being Aladdin for 30 years. Like what, how has that affected you? And it was really cool. So we interviewed, yeah. we interviewed the cast. So we interviewed Jafar and princess Jasmine and, you know, and uh, it, that was very cool. Um, yeah. And we went out to Alan Menken's house and talked and I sat down with him at the piano and sang with him, which was really funny. And um, we went to the studio where we recorded it and the sound, you know, engineer is still there. That's this legend. Uh, his name is doc Kane still worked there. Maybe he retired since. We interviewed the director. Like, it was an amazing... We interviewed my mom, who took me to the auditions. And it was really... I could... We interviewed my son and my wife. And it was very... I couldn't have been happier with how it came out. It was really cool. And it's not yet 
I thought when Disney Plus came out, it would be one on the you know in the bonuses, bonus features, and for whatever reason, it's not available yet on Disney Plus. Like you can't just go to the Aladdin channel or whatever on Disney Plus and see it. But maybe someday. Interesting. I was really proud of it. That's cool. I am. Um, yeah, that's that's surprising that it's not streaming. Disney Plus is such an odd duck for me anyway. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I know, feel like they, they've so almost much. figured it out. Yeah. I enjoyed, yeah. I loved that Beatles thing. I watched the into every minute yeah. of it. But yeah. I watched it's, that. They have a lot. They have, there's a lot. Yeah. There's a, a lot of content. I mean, I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. You know what I watched on there? Um, and I, I, my friends are going to hear this and make fun of me because I bring it up so often. <laughs> I watched the four part Ed Sheeran documentary on there. Oh, and I didn't even know I, have ne- I mean, I'm, I am not like a big crier anyway. Um, uh, I like to pack my emotions just so deep that like healthy. even a therapist. That's, that's yeah, the yeah, it's, it's, I think it's really good. Yeah. It's working out really well for me so far. Sometimes I just cry in my car because, you know, why not? But other than that, I'm fine. Um, I have never cried so hard watching something. As this wow. That's now, now I've got to watch it. You've got to watch it, that's but just be prepared. Reason. It's Wait, is, his life, is his life sad? Is that what it is? Or his best friend? I th- I think that they had started filming this with the intention of just like recording as he went on a tour, uh-huh. and um at and like the timeline's a little murky for me, um but because I was crying so hard, maybe I missed it, or maybe it just wasn't <laughs> clear in the storytelling. But um his best friend died suddenly, like unexpectedly, oh just God. before. Um, they started really recording stuff. And so you're watching this guy like top of the world. Um, but also his, he's dealing with a a very, very real grief that is just like hanging over this guy. And then also his pregnant wife gets cancer. Oh my God. (laughs) So it's, but, um, you know, okay. Now I have to watch it. But it's great, you know. You just you're so proud of him at the end for getting through it. He's so talented too. He's so good. I mean, like when he yeah. like the way he like like when he picks up a guitar, it's just like so. It's weird. It's like part of him. It's crazy. Yeah. Do you play any instruments? No, I wish I did. You know, it's fun. My um, I did when I was a kid. I played the piano, and then I sort of dropped it, and I blame my parents for letting me drop it. But <laughs> you know, I I was super into it, and then when I got really busy with my kid acting career, I sort of let it fall by the wayside. And it's like one of those things, you know, you just forget if you don't use it. So, but my son is learning the guitar now and he's really taken to it. And it's so cool to watch. It's so cool to watch him improve every week. It's really, it's great. It's making me, you know, someday when I'm an empty nester, when I'm old and retired and I got some time on my hands, maybe then I'll learn how to play the guitar too. I love that second act, I guess, third act career for you. It's just uh, maybe like yeah. a studio musician. As an old troubadour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just go from town to town and play my songs. <laughs> People will be like, dude, I think Aladdin is our uh, musician yeah. today. That's crazy. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, an old guy with a gray beard. <laughs> are you going to grow like a really long beard, a little scraggly? Depends on how good I get at the guitar. All right. <laughs> Like the, the look has to correspond to my level of ability. Yeah, I yep. think so. Yeah. Uh, what is it like to work with Alan Menken? Because you've worked with him, obviously, with Aladdin, but then also Gallivant and like you've continued on with him. Well, you like. know, the funny thing with, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure you know this, but, you know, I auditioned for Alan Menken when I was a kid, but I 
did not do such a good job at the audition. I did not sing the role of Aladdin. I, I did, I did well enough. I did well enough that they couldn't fire me, but they certainly couldn't use my singing voice at the time. And so they, they had to search far and wide to find uh, a match. And they did, they found, and, and the funny thing is the guy who they found named Brad Kane is a, a television writer now as well. <laughs> and, and really Wild. successful, really prolific, does all kinds of different shows and really cool and a great guy. And um, he's a little older than me. I think he was either in college or film school when Aladdin came out. And I was still in high school. But he um, uh, anyway, so Alan Menken, when we finally like spoke at the, at the premiere of the movie, he was like, why couldn't you just know how to sing, man? You cause it a lot. <laughs> yeah. but, I, but ultimately he was happy because the guy that he found had such a spectacular voice. And, um, but anyway, but then, you know, Alan and I, we would bump into each other over the years, but not, you know, we didn't really know each other very well. And then, uh, I was working on, uh, this sitcom on ABC. It was, it wasn't, I don't know if you could even call it a sitcom. It was a comedy. It was a musical comedy called Gallivant and, um, that Dan Fogelman created. And Dan Fogelman is a brilliant guy, really sweet, wonderful, talented. He's, he's also my boss. So I'm really laying it on thick, but he, uh, <laughs> He um, is a wonderful guy. He wrote the movie Tangled and uh, Alan Menken wrote the music for that. And with, uh, and uh, Glenn Slater was the lyricist. And so Dan created the show Gallivant, which was a live action comedy. And Alan and Glenn did the music. And I was one of the writers on that show. And so Alan would come out and sit in our writer's room with his keyboard for a week and pitch songs with us and just talk it out and play. And it was a dream come true. And so he and I, I guess really became closer than we ever were because of that. Um, gotcha. uh, yeah. So, so and cool. yeah, but he's a, he's an amazing guy, wonderful guy, talented, you know, absolute legend. Yeah. Yeah. I went to, um, at the bowl, they had beauty and the beast and they uh, played beauty and the beast on the screen. And then a live orchestra would play out the music. Mm -hmm. And I think like rebel Wilson and a couple other people were doing songs and stuff too. But, um, while everyone was just loading in, they had Alan Menken out there just playing on right. the piano. Not really, just kind of like butzing on the yeah. piano. I was like, this is, and people were just like straggling in. I was like, everybody just shush. Alan has a thing that he does that I've now seen, like if I've been lucky enough to see it several times. Well, he'll just sort of do like a medley. He'll just start playing a little pieces of a bunch of songs. And every one of them is your favorite song. You know what I mean? Like every, you know, yeah. it, it's just dozens of them, and they're all classics. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's crazy. You know, he'll go back to Little Shop of Horrors, and then he'll do stuff from you know all the animated movies, and it's just incredible. It's really fun. Yeah, he's and and yes, Tangled. What you have to understand, Scott, is that Tangled was a movie that I know that a lot of people saw that, but what people don't understand is that movie was actually made specifically for me because um, um it, it's just i'm i'm the i'm the one that it was made for because uh it, the music is incredible uh the animation is gorgeous uh i'm such a big fan of zach levi's because i loved chuck that was one of my all-time favorite shows yeah. um mandy moore is like a singular talent i'm such she's a fan of hers um, a big fan yeah. And also like, she's so kind, which mm. like, don't be, if you're so talented and so pretty, don't be so kind too. I That's know. rude. At least be a jerk. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. Um, well, you know, you know, she's uh, wonderful because Dan Fogelman, who wrote that movie, went on to hire her for This Is Us, which he created. Yes. And um, I worked, we, we talked about that a little bit, but. Yeah, so you worked on This Is Us. 
How, how long did you work there? I was there the last two seasons. Wow. I tried, uh, I wanted to get there much sooner, but the soonest I could get there um, was the last two seasons. And it was great. And uh, like, I don't know what I expected. It's weird. You know, I'm sure you can relate to this, like just from writing. Um, when you come into a show that's already on its feet and going, mm -hmm. there is like this like new kid in school kind of feeling to it yeah. where you're not sure like what your place is. And I, I wasn't, I, that's kind of how I felt going into it. Like, I, I don't know what my place is here, mm -hmm. but I quickly figured it out. And, mm -hmm. um, it, the show was just like, everybody was so nice. And that fully comes from Dan. I mean, also like the cast yeah. was great too, but mm -hmm. I really think that that just comes from Dan. That's awesome. You know what yeah. I just realized is that you wouldn't have been able to work on that show in the early days of that show because we were doing Fuller House when that show started. Correct. I was because what I remember is <laughs> this is, um, listen, I, everybody knows that I'm a fan of Mandy Boars. Um, so I walked into the production office at this is a, or at, um, Fuller the day after <laughs> this is us the pilot aired and I walked in and proclaimed because you know it's a very serious office there at Fuller House. <laughs> yeah, Made sure. everybody stop what they were doing and pay attention to me as I proclaimed that the um that Mandy Moore was back. The career <laughs> resurrection of Mandy Moore has begun. <laughs> and uh they all were like, okay, well you know my um I'm working in that writer's room now that this is us writer's room is on my new show that I'm working on for Dan is in that really? room. Really? Is it, um, who else is on, who's the line producer over there? Oh, it's Beers. Steve Beers. Yeah. 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 So. Beers is cool. He's, uh, his story, you know, he's had an incredible career. Like he'll just sit down and start talking about like. Oh my God. Yeah. He's done everything. Wild. So, yeah. And this thing that we're doing now is a huge production. So, um, really? like crazy stuff. In fact, cool. I was just reading a draft of the script somebody turned in. And um, I think in the scene, like a couple of helicopters take off and there's all kinds of action going on. And the writer wrote in the stage direction, sorry, Beers. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so you're, you're, working, you're working with Dan again. Yeah, which is a dream. It's really great. I, uh, he's a wonderful guy. He's a, he's a good friend and a mentor, like big time. So anytime I have an opportunity to work with him on something, I think this is our fourth show that I've worked with him on. Wow. What were the others? Well, the first one that I worked with Dan Fogelman on was, it was the, his very first show. It was called Like Family. And that was the first script I ever got to write for, for TV was an episode of that show. How cool. And, and I worked with him again on um, this show that he created on ABC called The Neighbors, um, yeah. which was really funny about aliens. And, um, and then after that, we did Gallivant. And now this one. Nice. So, which I don't even know if I'm allowed to say the name of it yet, so I won't. <laughs> okay, that's fair. I know um, some stuff about it just because, yeah, it's uh, the same, some of the same crew, same, mm. right? I think the same production office. Yeah, I same, we're, we're, yeah, I think it is the same production office. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's the old stomping grounds. Yeah. But, um, it's been really fun. And I love, I love being on the Paramount Studios a lot. It's really great. And, um, yeah. uh, and just being, it's just a really wonderful, smart group of people. So it's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, that's I love that lot. I um Warner Brothers really has my heart. And when I first mm. went over to Paramount, I was like, it's so far. I'm so lazy. I'm like, it's so far. <laughs> <laughs> it's over the hill for me. Um, and you know, it's like it's an old lot. And yeah, lot there are a lot of history, but they have not done like a ton to upkeep some mm. things. Mm. I would get mosquito bites all the time in that production office, but oh, so I very quickly uh fell fell in love with that lot because it's just it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. 
And you really, wherever you're walking, you look up and you see the Hollywood sign and you're like, you really feel like you're in Hollywood. Yeah. And every, and the stages are so old and they have plaques that say like, you know, Lucille Ball or, you know, Casablanca, not Casablanca, but you know, that era, you know, they've got movies going back to the silent era practically. It's amazing. Yeah. No, um, Casablanca was Warner Brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I assume that was shot on the Warner Brothers lot. So. Yeah, uh, I was a tour guide at Warner Brothers for like a oh, year and oh, a half over know, there. So. You can tell me yeah. everything. You know, um, yeah. I missed that lot. The Warner Brothers lot. It's true. I guess it does feel like home. You want to hear something funny? When uh, My very first job in L.A. when I was a kid actor, when I was 13 years old, was on a TV show called Life Goes On. Yeah. That, and Life Goes On was on the Warner Brothers lot. So that was my very first lot I ever worked on. And... Then we did full house there. I mean, I did a bunch of stuff there. I've been, you know, and then my first writing jobs were there, you know. So, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of I, that. That place feels like home for sure. Yeah, it does, it, and it has that like cool campus feel, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's very special. Yeah, um, what was it like doing the Fuller House table read? The fir- like before the big rewrite, the first Fuller House table read to see that DJ and Steve did not make it well you know it it was funny i i was surprised that they wrote that in you know just as a writer i was surprised because it says uh, basically the the first episode the pilot episode of fuller house was they called it the reunion episode because all of the old cast was gonna they were polite about it they called us the legacy cast but that just meant old (laughs) and um and uh they sent me the script and they asked me if i would do it and i said of course like what am i gonna say we were doing gallivant at the time and uh I knew I could sneak away for an episode to, you know, do this thing. We were gallant with shooting in England anyway. And yeah. um, so I get the script and I go, I show up at the party. DJ's having a party at her house. Like I say, a going away party. Cause the premise was that she was getting rid of the old house. And yeah. um, so they're having a big farewell to the house party and Steve shows up and DJ <laughs> says, Steve. And, and, and then it, her line was, where are your wife and kids? And I'm, and I said, Oh, I'm so sorry. They couldn't make it. Whatever the kids have homework or whatever the line was. And so I got to that table read thinking, well, clearly this is, this is a one, one and done for me. Like I don't have, there's not, you know, it's just, this is just for fun. It'll be a fun week of my life. And then I'm never coming back. And, um, as a result, I think I was just very relaxed at the table read. I didn't feel like I was auditioning for something. I just felt like I was there for like a quick, fun thing and whenever I feel that way I always tend to do better you know when when I feel like there's nothing riding on it I'm not you know there's no stakes I just sort of enjoy myself and that's always sort of you get the best version of me and um it went really really well and it was so fun and then that night I got an email from Jeff Franklin the creator of the show and he said hey man you were really funny at the table read today he said I think I'm going to get rid of that dialogue about your wife and kids and maybe you can come back someday and try to date DJ and I was like, sure, that would be cool. I didn't think yeah. it was ever going to happen. And then <laughs> they kept calling. They were like, hey, are you around to do one more? Are you around to do one more? And then by the end of that first season, I had done more than like seven episodes, seven out of the 13. And then so then finally Jeff called and he's like, well, now we've sort of painted ourselves into a corner because we've set up this whole love triangle. Like you're a big part of the show. And so <laughs> now you need to come and be like a series regular on the show. And uh, um as it turned out, the two shows that I was writing for at the time, because I was doing Gallivant, and then after Gallivant, I'd gone over to that The Muppets, which was on ABC. Remember, they did like the, the they did it was like um it was like The Office, but with Muppets. It was really funny. Yeah, it was and, cool. Um, it was so clever. 
it was a really, it was clever and fun and it was really finding its stride, but you know, that they, they just, it was a one in season situation. And so they both got canceled and I became available and I was able to do, I did not expect that it would be five seasons of Fuller House, but it was five, you know, many episodes of Fuller House, but, uh, but it was fun. And, you know, and I kept my writing up. I was always writing. I was always, you know, every season I was writing, selling a pilot, pitching a pilot, you know, I always had stuff going on. So, um, it was like, for me, it was like a dream. Did you ever think about writing a, an episode of Fuller? And what would your episode have been? That's really funny. Well, you know, I I didn't think of, I, I felt like I was such a part of that cast. Like I was one of the actors, you know, and I felt like it would be weird for them to have in the writer's room for me to join the writer's room. You know, I th- I don't know. I felt like, I felt like it was better to sort of keep them apart, you know, keep them separate. You know, I didn't know if the writers would want one of the actors in the room or if the actors would want one of the writers on set, you know what I mean? It just felt, which of course was just typical me paranoia. I'm sure it would have been completely fine, but I just had made a decision that, you know, I should not uh, invade the sanctity of the writer's room on this show. You know, it's not my place. And, um, but what would, God, what would my episode have been? I don't, I would have loved to have done another travel episode because like, for example, the Japan episode which was a really tough shoot and came out kind of weird because we had to redo all the dialogue because there was someone with a lot of audio problems because of the cicadas in yeah. Tokyo in the summer. And so we had to, we had to, we had to loop the entire show, like, like an old timey, you know, like, like when you watch an old Kung Fu movie and the, you know, the lips are not quite matching. It was like that, you know, we had to try to make it, you know, work, but um, it was an amazing experience. Like going to Tokyo, I mean, which where I had never been, I always love that. I always love my favorite thing is to travel for work. I mean, I love traveling with my family, but for some reason when it's with work, you feel like you're not being a dilettante. You're there to work, but at the same time, you have tons of time off so you can go and explore and I don't know. So if I could have written an episode, I would have deliberately written an episode where like Steve and DJ go on vacation in Paris. I love that. (laughs) Um, I forgot Uh, that everything had to be looped in that episode. What I remember more because I didn't go to Japan. Mm. Um, so I just got to just watch you guys have like this amazing trip and be like, all right, well, we're going to play mini golf in the middle of the day. (laughs) There's a significant time difference. Can't do anything about this. Yeah. But, um, (laughs) what I do remember is that when you guys came back, Mm -hmm. you know, for sitcoms, you do three weeks on, one week off, three on, one week off. Yeah. For Fuller, we got into sometimes three on, one off, sometimes four on, one off. And for mm-hmm. some reason, it was decided that you guys would go to Japan, come back on like a Saturday, and then need to be back on stage on Tuesday oh, for run-throughs for a whole uh-huh. new episode. And it was just like watching just – zombies roam the stage just a bunch of good looking zombies <laughs> the level of the level of jet lag was so crazy in both directions because yeah. when you go there you lose like a, a day of your life because it's it's a 12-hour flight and a 17-hour time difference so you get there what i'm not good at math but that's like a 29 hour you know it's like crazy when you know like yeah. so you know you leave in, on a monday and you know you don't really get there till wednesday or something it's crazy and then it's even weirder coming home cuz you have the 17 hour the time difference is way longer than the trip cuz the flight home is like 10 hours and so i remember 
flying home. And I remember I, I got, I flew home from Tokyo and I'm back in LA and I'm walking my dog. And it was still like a couple hours before my flight had actually left Tokyo. You know what I mean? Oh, so it was, yeah, it's really <laughs> like, so you, you really are, you're bumping into the furniture for a few days after that. Yeah. You guys but, bumped into a lot of furniture over there on stage 24. I'm sure and we it did. Was, uh, it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun. Do you remember when we had to rehearse, there was this big scene where we were crossing the street in Shibuya Crossing and we knew we could do it once. You know, you can't, Shibuya Crossing is the busiest pedestrian intersection in the world. And we were shooting there and we knew we couldn't do it more than one time. So we practiced on stage like forever to get ready because we knew it was one and then we were, that was it. And so we rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed. And then we finally shot it. We got it in one take. It was amazing. That is amazing. God. Yeah. Fuller was such a special experience because I like, I'm sure in a way different realm for you too, but like a lot of it just felt like a fever dream. This whole thing, especially season one felt more yeah. like a fever dream because I had grown up watching the show. So mm. I like, I wanted to work on this show before I was, before it even had a name, before I even got asked to go work on it, I was like, I want to be here on this show. But well, then, I, like, remember, I, didn't, I didn't understand what it was going to be. Like, I, I didn't, I mean, you know, it's funny now we just sort of take for granted that there are sitcoms on Netflix, like old timey multi-camera sitcoms on Netflix. But like, um, when they said that they're going to do a full house reboot for Netflix, I didn't even understand what that meant. You know what I mean? And I was like, yeah. are people going to watch this? Are people going to find us on Netflix? Like, what is that? I didn't understand. And then, yeah, everything about it was weird. I mean, being back on that set was amazing. It was like, um, I was just talking about this with uh, Dave Coulier about how it felt like magically showing up in your childhood bedroom or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like a time machine. And on the same, you know, well, actually we weren't on the same stage yet at that point, but like just being there on the Warner Brothers lot and walking around with these people and that set, it was just so strange. And then it got normal really fast, which was even weirder. Just like two days into it, we're like, hey, like we're just hanging out at craft service like it was no big deal. It was so strange. And then when it came out, it was such a hit. I mean, it was a massive, giant, insane level hit. It was just crazy. How does that feel for you? It's it's such a big hit. Now are people I you know, people I would imagine already recognized you, but is this getting like not that more? often, you know? It's like, you know, I mean I I like to think that I look sort of like Steve, like you can sort of tell, but at the same time, I wasn't being stopped all the time. You know what I mean? In fact, I remember the show came out on a Friday, and then I think the following Monday, I think I was in the hospital visiting my sister who was having a baby. And we were all there, my whole family, and um, we're all just waiting in the waiting room. And I said, I, I said to my family, I was like, you know, I'm going to go grab some coffees. Anybody want a coffee? So I go to the coffee shop in the uh, hospital and um, order and I go to pay. He goes, on the house, love the show. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first time I realized, you know, because the ratings didn't come out. It, was a, it wasn't a network show. So it wasn't like... Yeah. You know, a lot of, you know, on a network show, if you have a big premiere and the next morning you see the overnight ratings, you're like, oh my God, it's a huge hit. Um, yeah. But on a streamer, you know, that doesn't share its, you know, you know, we didn't, they knew, but we didn't know. And the only, the only way that we were able to find out that the show was such a hit was because the regular traditional network ratings, network TV ratings were strange after that weekend. 
Like they were like, it was very odd because all the, where would everybody go on Friday night? You know, where did everybody go on Saturday night? And then it slowly dawned, like it took everybody a minute to go, oh my God, they were all watching Netflix because of this new show. It was like, it, it was, you know, we, we forget about it now, but at the time it was like a phenomenon. It was crazy. What did you steal from the set? You stole the boat? Is that right? Uh, yeah. Oh God, you know what? I'm so sorry. I should have, uh, I should have, usually if I'm doing a podcast related to Full House, I'll put it behind me here. Like I did um, Andrea and Jody's podcast. And I put it there. We talked about it because the story was, it was the last night of the show. It was the series finale. And everybody wanted to take home a souvenir because it was like, not because we're all criminals, but because it was such a meaningful experience to all of us. We wanted to bring a piece of it. You know, I think yeah. John Stamos took the couch, you know, so I don't feel bad. I, I think, think he, he took, took the, the keys door. to stage 24. I think he took everything. <laughs> if, you, if you didn't leave something everything. that night, he took his dressing gone. room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my, I had a plan, which was that I was going to run to the kitchen and grab the cookie jar. The uh, They have a cookie jar on set that's in the shape of the house. And so I'm walking over there, but I didn't want like, I wanted to be very casual about it. I'm like, oh, what's this? I'll just pick it up and sort of walk away. And as I'm about to get it, Michael, Andrea's boyfriend, walks right over and picks it up and starts walking away. Like with the <laughs> And I was like, oh, no. And, and and he's a very sweet guy. And I think he noticed. He was like, do you – did you want – I was like, no, no, of course. Because I knew he was getting it for Andrea, you know. Yeah. And um, so I was like, well, that's a bummer. And then so I sort of like took a moment and I – hold on. Let me get it. I, I sort of did a once around the set and I saw this. And I was like, you know, this is very – this is iconic. This is an iconic piece of uh, of real estate. I mean of props. Um, it's the, this is from Joey's alcove yes. in the living room. And yeah, so this is the sailboat that was, it's not the sailboat from full house. That was much bigger, but this is the sailboat that they replaced it with on fuller house. And it was there, I think for all five seasons of the show. And I feel kind of guilty that I took it, but not that guilty because everybody took stuff. Yes, everybody. Now, my big question, I took stuff too. My big question was, how did you get that? I would imagine when you left, you just left it like like it was in the box of things that you took out of your dressing room. But how did yeah, you, you know, and I'm sure I just there? put it in a shopping bag. Although, yeah, I, I'm sure, you know, I'm very paranoid and I'm a good boy. Like, I don't like to <laughs> And so I'm leaving the lot. I'm sure I was like, good night you know, to the security people. Like, don't check. Yeah. You know, how am I going to explain this? But um, I, I think it's fine. I think, you know, I'm, I'll hang on to it. I'm going to keep it in perfect condition until we do fullest house. And then I'll bring it go. back. Lend, I'll lend it back to the studio. <laughs> you should charge them a rental fee, though. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. you want, oh, you want the sailboat? No problem. Good luck. Yeah. Um, I left with a, a cross stitch that's in the kitchen. But I also left like oh, – nice were full of stuff i don't know what happened to me that night but i was like holding on to things for other people i would no. uh, i just left with like my old ja jacket was like the the pockets were bulging and then i had this giant cross stitch under my arm and i locked eyes with one of the security guards and i was like see ya oh my god that's that's so you know people i think people just felt like this was a his i think people felt like a, a huge emotional connection to the show and yeah. they knew that everyone else else out there does. And that yeah. this it felt also like a historical thing, the like revival of Full House for a little yeah. period of time. Yeah, I think we all wanted to keep a piece of it, you know, take a little bit home. Yeah. It Let's was um, So you got the cross stitch from the kitchen. What 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 is that is it in your house? You got it? It is, yeah. Hang on, let me grab it. 
Don't take it down. Don't take it down. That thing's not coming down. <laughs> yeah, leave it on the wall. I see it. It looks great. Yeah. <laughs> it looks great. But um, I, I said, what would what would you do if I just started crying if I saw it? <laughs> well, what ha- the the like I, I haven't even I don't even know if Jody knows this or remembers this, but there was a pillow that Jody really wanted, mm-hmm. and um, lore had gotten out that I had left that stage with a lot of stuff because also remember <laughs> I wasn't on that last season. I showed up all the time. I was like the kid that graduated and always kept coming back, oh, so yeah. I was always there that last season. But I didn't uh. work there. Um, so I'd like taken all this stuff and I get a call from, um, Ron, the transfer captain being like, Hey, in the office, they're talking about you took stuff. They know that you were the, they know that you took stuff. There's something that you have that Jody really wants. And I was like, well, if it's Jody, if it's Jody, then that's, I don't care. Like, obviously I'm going to give it to her, whatever she wants. She can, you know, she's way more entitled to it than me. And also like, I'll just bring it to her. It's not a big deal. Um, but I was really, it turns out that like that cross stitch was what I thought she wanted. It turns uh, out what she wanted. I didn't have. So I um, know, you know what I, 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 she told the story about how, you know, that little wooden sailor man, the sea guy, I forgot his oh. name, the sea daddy or something. She had a weird name. <laughs> I forgot what she called him. And she took his head and then got in big trouble. Apparently they like, they were like, you yeah. must return the head. And so <laughs> it's like a crazy story. It's crazy because that poor was like the sea pappy or whatever he is. Yeah, sea pappy. That's what it was. Yes. Yeah. That um that that poor guy was highly traumatized that night because the other thing about it is we're very emotional. We're you know it's it's a goodbye. Also, the alcohol is flowing um, for yeah. some for, for some folks. And, yeah, it um, had like a New Year's Eve vibe. Yes, it did. So she took the head. Now there's a headless sea pappy. But everybody kind of wants this guy. And I'm not going to name this person's name, but I will say that somebody that we know and love very much um, tried to take the rest of the body. Oh, my God. Styrofoam. And so they basically, like, capped this guy at um, at the knees. And oh then realized God. what had happened, like, kind of started to very quickly, like, sober up and be like, oh, that's not good. And so just, like... <laughs> place him back on the like metal rods that went all the way through his body oh to hold my him god but still no head the head had been the head, <laughs> head was removed. yeah yeah so jody got into trouble this person would have definitely gotten to because they were oh, not an actor they would have gotten into way more trouble oh my god that's yeah. so funny god now i feel really guilty having the sailboat but no. like i said if I, I would i would it's i live near warner brothers i will bring it back if they need it <laughs> if they want you to bring it back that would be amazing I know that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, film the whole interaction. Yeah. Um, what is the braggiest you have so many books behind you. What is the braggiest book that you have? The braggiest book that I have? Yeah. I don't know. You know, it's funny because this is um these are all of my books and my wife's books combined. Okay. And so there's a lot of English major stuff. She was a theater major. There's a lot of plays. Nice. The braggiest book? Hold on, let me see. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. The brag. I don't know. The braggiest book. Hang on. Let me see here. You know what I've got? I've got. Uh, hmm. I was trying to come up with something sort of funny, but I can't. But I will. Uh, you know what I do have here? I have a picture of when I was a little kid. This was one of my first acting jobs. 
at the Fort, Fort Lauderdale Children's Theater. I was, oh my God. I was, I guess, the Sits of Hearts in Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> How cute. Oh my God. That's so cute. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm not going to brag about any books, but I will show you that. That's a pretty good brag still, though. That's a pretty good brag. I mean, not everybody gets to play the Six of Hearts. <laughs> not you, though. You got that role. Took yeah. it. I thought that was the top for me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was fun. It was really fun. That's cool. Did you, so you always wanted to be an actor. Yeah, I think so. I was always a very hammy kid. I always liked being on stage. I never got nervous about it or anything. And I was also really bad at sports. I had very bad vision. I sucked at every team sports, tennis, everything. Like if there was a ball involved, I couldn't see it. And I didn't know. Like, I think my parents, like, we just, we, like, didn't pick up on the fact that I was really nearsighted until it was way too late. And so I needed after-school activities because I wasn't doing, you know, I grew up in Florida where every kid would go to their tennis lessons or whatever or go play football or t-ball or whatever. And um, so I got into doing, my mom got me, helped me get into the Fort Lauderdale Children's Theater. And so I did that. And then um, at I think um, I started going on local auditions in Florida for like commercials and local episodes. I think when I was eight years old, I did an episode of Miami Vice, um, cool. which is I played, I played an eight-year-old undercover cop. And I'm just kidding. Stop. But, but, <laughs> I don't know. I was like, sure, man, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, but uh, I was lucky. I got a lot of good parts in Florida. And then somehow ended up in LA for the summer going on auditions and just started working. And I was very, I had a very fortunate, you know, experience where I just kept, kept on working. Nice. Yeah. Love that. Um, you consider yourself now more of a TV writer than an actor though. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, you know, when Fuller House came along, I had not auditioned for anything in many, many years. I love acting. I love, I love being on a TV show. I just hate trying to get on a TV show. <laughs> I don't like being a, I don't like being a, uh, an actor seeking employment. It's just not, I hate auditions. I hate the whole process. And, um, but when I got into writing, I just like my first writer's room, I just felt very at home. It felt like, oh, it just felt like I, I had this sense of belonging and, um, and it's been a long time now. I've been doing it for, you know, 20 years or something. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. I really like it. Yeah. What were you, um, when you first were working to get hired, um, what were you specking? Um, the first, you know, I wrote a bunch of stuff, but I think the first thing that somebody called and said, Hey, I read your script and it was really good. was an episode of scrubs. Nice. I always liked scrubs. And I think so scrubs was my first spec where I had given it to, I didn't know how to get into TV writing, which is funny, you know, for someone who grew up in LA and I mean, grew up in show business, you would have thought I understood how it all worked, but I truly didn't. Um, uh, and I, so I, this director that I know, uh, said, Hey, I read your scrubs. It's really good. Let's have lunch and talk, you know? And, um, I said, I don't know how this works. I assume I have to be somebody's assistant or whatever. So if you hear of anything and he's like, I don't know, it might be weird. People will want like an actor from a TV show or whatever to be their assistant. I said, well, I, you know, I don't, I'm not afraid of like starting as an, you know, whatever, whatever I got to do, bring people coffee, whatever. And, uh, a few months later, he called me and he said, I'm getting ready to direct a bunch of pilots, like three or four pilots. And if you become my assistant, you'll meet all the showrunners and you'll be on the set of all these shows. And you'll, you know, it'll expose you to a lot of different productions and a lot of different kinds of shows. Maybe something will come of that. 
And one of those ended up being the like family, which was Dan Fogelman's uh, first show. And so he wasn't running it. He was co-running it with another couple of writers, Rick and Kenny, because it was, he had never worked in television before and um, they needed a writer's assistant. And I had really been in their face. I really made a point of being like when the writers were on set, pitching jokes in between takes, I would sit down with there with them and try to like, just sort of be there. And yeah. one of them, Rick or Kenny, said, what about that guy, that annoying guy, Barnett's <laughs> assistant, who was always on the uh, set with us? And so they called me and offered me the gig. And um, yeah, and it was funny because I didn't know that the main job of a writer's assistant was typing. I didn't realize that was like, I thought it was just like being the assistant, like yeah. bringing coffee and lunch or whatever. I didn't understand what a PA was and what a writer's assistant. I didn't under- and so when I found this out, I immediately had to, because I typed like this. I had to, I bought a, a typing um, uh, app. And by the time the room started that summer, I was typing more than 60 words a minute. I went crazy. Wow. I, was a, I started this program and it was amazing. I bought a full-size keyboard and I would just practice all day until I was typing like, like, yeah, it was amazing. Like, like the wind. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think um, if you've never done it before, you don't know that it's one, it's a lot of typing. And two, more than anything, it's not only is it typing, it's typing and then everybody can see your screen. So yes. it's not like you can like screw up and be like, but I know what I mean and I'm going to go back to it later. It's like everybody yeah. can see that you have used the wrong there. It's this, yeah. That's absolutely right. On a sitcom, especially because on a sitcom, you know, a lot of the writing, a lot of the rewriting is done Well, they'll put the script up on the monitor in front of everybody. And, you know, for pitching or, you know, so you could look at the joke you're trying to beat or whatever. Um, yeah. So if you get if you don't get something down, you know, you don't want to take everything down because then it's like you, you have to have some you have to discern what's worth keeping. But at the same time, there are a lot of fragile egos in the room. So if somebody pitches a joke and they don't hear the then they get upset. <laughs> Oh man. Um, do you feel like, because I, I listened to, cause I listened to, you know, how rude Tanneritos, obviously, uh, like <laughs> a good fan does. And I listened to you talk about specking a little bit. And Wait, you hold started, on. Is this Cody and Andrea's podcast? Mm-hmm, oh, yeah. I didn't even know it was out. I didn't know that. It, I didn't oh know yeah. It, it just came out. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. They didn't tell me. Is it, was it funny? Was it good? I loved it. I thought it was really great. Okay, good. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was really great. Um, but you, you, you were talking about specking and you started to say something and then I think you guys started talking about something else, but it sounded like you thought that maybe were, it's like a missed opportunity that writers coming up now really don't have to do specs anymore. Do you I feel like that's the case? Yeah. I mean, I don't control the business and I'm not going to like you know, if I was running something, I wouldn't be like demand that people turn in an episode of their, you know, some show. But yeah. now the thing to do is to write an original pilot. But when I was starting, the thing to do was to write a really good episode of another of an existing show. And the yeah. whole point of that was to show that you could write voices that you didn't create, that you could write the voice of whatever sitcom, you know, that you like, you know. Um, and so that was the whole point of it. That was the point of the exercise. And, uh, and it was really great training. Um, you, uh, you know, now people don't really have to do that. And so, you know, I guess something's lost from that, but at the same time, I don't know. I, I, the, the process by which television writers get their jobs or not is very crazy. And, yeah. uh, you know, and then on, honestly, once you start working, you know, get in the, once you get in the door, the way to stay in is, you know, by 
people wanting to rehire you and continue to work with you and, um, you know, be a positive, you know, contribute to the room and, you know, don't uh, hog all the lunch. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Lunch is probably one of the most important parts about TV writing. (laughs) It's a, it's a ritual. Yeah. The right, yeah. The writer's room lunch is not to be trifled with. Yes. It is the thing that makes me the most nervous. Like when I first came here, I was PAing as an office PA and then like Mm -hmm. thought to myself that I wanted to start moving towards the writer's room and um, just would get really scared of the idea of screwing up lunches. And I was like, I think if that's enough to talk me out of it, maybe (laughs) this isn't for me completely. Oh my God. My least favorite thing was people would say, where are we at? Where should we have lunch today? Scott, you pick. And I was like, no. Please, God, no, don't make me pick. Because <laughs> there's always someone who's going to be complaining, you know. And then, you know, one complaint can turn into a tidal wave of complaints. So, but, um, you know, like, uh, you know, there's always a vegetarian. There's always someone who hates sushi. There's always someone who had a bad experience at that restaurant or whatever, you know. So yeah. it's, yeah, being the guy that picks sucks. Yeah, it's miserable. <laughs> it's I, a um... job. It can only It can only blow up in your face. True. There's that's the only option for it, actually. Because yeah. no one's gonna be like, that was amazing. Thank you. I mean, nice. You know, it's fun. On this show I'm working on right now. So we're we're um in so Dan Fogelman has two shows going in the same building. We're this new show that I'm working on, and then only murders in the building. And so Dan will come in and be like, Where are we ordering lunch from today? And someone will tell him he'll go, Ugh, I'm gonna go see what the only murders people are happening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get in on that. Oh. So yeah. But that's also like, that's, that feels like a very emblematic, um, example of who he is emblematic example. I did that. Um, <laughs> that's a, that's a great example of who he is because I feel like there are a lot of other showrunners that would be like, no, we're not, we're going here now. Or like go somewhere special. Like go, when you go pick up the lunch, pick up this place for me. Don't yeah. Do, yeah. No, he'll just be like, that's the beauty of having two shows at the same time. You can, you know, yeah. you can get your lunch. <laughs> yeah. It's not too shabby. <laughs> I know that's the, that's one of the perks. Yeah. Many perks to being Dan Fogelman, but yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Got a whole land at Disney. Yeah. You get to choose your lunches. I know. I always, whenever I'm at Cars Land with my kid, I always send a picture. Yeah. But yeah. And it's beautiful. Oh, it's amazing. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. And that ride, the, the blade, whatever it's called, I forgot what the fast race car ride or whatever. It was amazing. It's cool. It's a, it's a great ride. And it's, I, you know, it's a great ride because like the fast passes for it are always gone an hour into the yeah. day. Oh like my you God. Hardly get onto the ride. Two hours for that ride. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, What's it, oh, it's called something spring, Saratoga Springs or something like that. Radiator Springs. Radiator Springs. Yeah. That's what yes. it is. Bam. Yeah. Look at us. I'm a Disney fan. Yeah, you are. Are you a Disney fan? <laughs> yeah. Big time. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I grew up in Florida and it was a three hour drive to Disney World for us. So it was like far enough away that we didn't go there all the time, um, but close enough that we could go there, you know, once in a while. And um, sometimes I remember when I was really little, my dad surprised us one day, picked me and my brother up from school and he said, get in the car. We're going to Disney World. We were like, what? So I, I grew up loving Disney. And then becoming a Disney prince, you have like ridiculous access to Disneyland and Disney World all the time. And then when I was doing Full House, we shot a couple of episodes there that are now like iconic episodes. And um, we were there for weeks, just like living at Disney World and riding the rides all day. It was inc- it was a dream. It was, and I've, it's funny how people are. I mean, John Stamos is the ultimate Disney fanatic. And, yes. You know, his house is like a Disney museum. The last time yeah. I was there, you know, he's got like um, 
Walt Disney's old telephone, you know, like, and there's a picture of Walt on the phone, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. It really is a museum. I, know. I thought maybe he was just going to put me in a glass case. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> just keep me at his house as a Disney uh, uh, artifact. He might. I would be really careful next time you go over there because, uh, you know, and cell reception's terrible there too. So like, who are you going to call to try and get out? It's like, you're, you're stuck there for sure. That would be really cool. Sort of like a combination, like a misery kind of a movie where like someone is a, the ultimate, like a Disney freak. Like what's the ultimate Disney artifact you could have? And it's like all the people who are the voices of the characters, just like you know, round them all up. Like, and <laughs> be really funny. <laughs> You could do um, like the menu style, but it's all Disney voice actors that have been invited to this amazing meal and then uh, nobody leaves. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. That's yeah, awesome. I, think, I love that. Should we do this? Let's, yeah. Not I think realize, we should we make this movie? Should, we should not. You know, oh, no, yeah, not should we yeah, take yeah. people prisoner. <laughs> yeah. Should we should we take people prisoner in real life? That'd be kind of cool, right? Should we do Wouldn't that? that be a cool movie? I think that would be really neat. And it's John Kramos <laughs> is the main guy. He's the Disney freak. Like he's he playing himself. Yeah. I will. Um, last time they had in the Burbank mall, they have the like auction where you can bid on things from Disney. Yeah. Have you ever seen You know, I just saw this actually. Um, uh, uh, there's a friend of mine. Actually, it was the first podcast I was ever on was this guy, Chris Hardwick. And Chris Hardwick, <laughs> is a, he's a one of his sort of things is that he's a fan and a collector of things. And um he has a new show, I guess eight episodes coming out about these auctions of like the world's greatest private collection, Disney memorabilia. And so it's eight episodes of Disney memorabilia. And I'm sure John Stamos was at those auctions buying things because he's nuts. But, um, but uh, yeah, he, maybe he would be the guy. He loves horror too. So he's the guy. It's yeah. Great, great. <laughs> All right. Well, so we Can I have a movie I have to go sell? <laughs> This is perfect. I love it. Um, all right. I have, I have a couple questions that I ask in every single episode. This mm -hmm. first question has a very low success rate as far as like people uh -huh. understanding it before I have to explain what I'm really asking. So <laughs> we'll see how this goes. So far, it's not going well. Do you know Harry Potter at all? The, the books? No, yeah. in life. No, no, um, yeah, the books. Yeah, but in fact, hold on. If you look over here, you can see a Harry Potter Lego right there on the shelf. You see? Yeah. Hogwarts, right. at Hogwarts right there. Um, cool. Yeah, so I know a little bit. I, you know, I know because my son went through a phase. Didn't last forever, but he went, definitely went through a phase where we read a lot of the Harry Potters and watched a lot of the Harry Potters and made a lot of Harry Potter Legos. So I hope I can I, – I, I call myself in a level, a level uh, a beginner level Harry Potter fan. I think you're going to nail this question then. We'll see. <laughs> what are your seven horcruxes? But like in a positive way, not trying to bring yourself back to life. Wait, seven what horcruxes. They? What are those? I don't remember that. They were, see, this is where it all falls apart. <laughs> um, that is how um, Voldemort split his soul into really eight, eight um, pieces, but seven on purpose, where like a little bit of his soul lives in you know the sword of gryffindor and all that but like if you had to split yourself into seven or put it like a little bit of you in seven different things so you live on forever your soul lives forever what would those seven things could be it could be a place it could be an object it could be a memory wherever it is interesting well you know it's no secret that i'm a huge francophile like i love paris so i would say at least three or four of those pieces would probably end up in different parts of paris <laughs> Uh, Where specifically in Paris? Do you in think? various restaurants and cafes and parks and museums. Uh, and then um, 
God, I don't know. I, you know, I'm a huge, I love traveling. And like some of my favorite places lately, last year I got to go, um, my family and I went to Italy and I fell in love with it. I fell in love with Rome and I fell in love with Florence. So maybe a little piece of me would be roaming the, um, would be uh, in Trastevere, just hanging out, eating pasta forever. Um, and then uh, I'm a huge fan of the writer Ernest Hemingway. So uh, I think that a little part of me would forever haunt the Hemingway house in Key West. Which, uh, by the way, you know, when I was a kid, I one of my first big roles was as Ernest Hemingway's son in this miniseries. And we shot it at the Hemingway house in Key West. And, you know, which is a museum, but for the movie, they got, they got rid of the velvet ropes and they got rid of all the tourists and they, we just lived there for a while, basically. I was 12. So whenever I was tired, they'd go, oh, go upstairs to Papa's room and take a nap. And I would go up in Ernest Hemingway's bedroom and nap in his bed. And it wow. was crazy. And so, yeah. and which is, and my mom who was there with me bought me a bunch of Hemingway books at the gift shop there, which um, definitely started my Hemingway problem, I call it. And, uh, <laughs> and which in fact, the first time I went to Paris, I did, um, I became like a little nuts about visiting all the important Hemingway places in Paris. Yeah. So there would definitely be a part of me at the bar at the back of the Ritz, the Hemingway bar, sipping a martini for eternity. That's a delightful little eternity there. Right? God. <laughs> I think I'm good. I think that would be a pretty good, uh, you know, and then of course, you know, my favorite thing in life is my family. So, and they're not even here. They're not listening. So I can Oh, just, wow. Yeah. No, no, I'm alone. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what is it about Hemingway that you feel such a, an affinity for? You know, it's funny because as I get older, you know, I mean, there are many flaws to the man, many flaws, um, which we don't need to sit here and list, but they're, they're, <laughs> they're well-known. Some are well-known, some aren't so well-known, some I know that probably more, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit nuts. When I went to college, I wrote my thesis on Ernest Hemingway in Paris. Wow. And so I know a lot of, I know too much about him. And, uh, um, but, it, but like, um, in terms of what I like about him, God, it's, it, it's really hard to say because it's sort of a feeling that he evokes. But I definitely think that the the main thing is the idea, and it's sort of become a trendy thing lately, which is funny. I don't know on TikTok or whatever, but the idea that life is an adventure. You know what I mean? It's like it's your adventure that you're the protagonist in your own story, and uh, and I think that's something that I took away from him. That and the uh, the traveling. Yeah, are you a martini guy? Oh God! You, yeah. you wanted to drink a martini forever, so. Yeah, exactly. I'm drinking one right now. No, I'm just kidding. No, yeah. Love martinis. Love them. Yeah. Love them. Love gin martinis, vodka martinis. Love them with olives. Love them with a twist. Yeah. What's your go-to if, if you're making it? What's it going to be? God, if I, you know, if I'm making one, I try not to make them at home. I don't think it's a great habit to get into making. I think it's more of an occasion thing. It's like, you don't want to be, you know, like happy Tuesday. Let's have a martini. But, uh, <laughs> But um, you and I live very different lives, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but I'll say my favorite two, I guess it would be a Hendrix martini, Hendrix gin with olives. And lately I've been really into Tito's martinis with a twist, like a vodka martini with a twist. Okay. It's sort of refreshing on a hot day. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
I have um, both of those things here, so perhaps that'll be the next martini. It's Friday, Scott. I can I'm make on a martini right. on a Friday. No. I have to tell you, not to brag, although this is a brag. My wife says I'm the best bartender ever, and I might be when it comes. I have some specialties, and I do I'm make curious. an amazing martini because you know I'm very good at chilling the glass. I'm very good at. I'm just great with the garnishes. You know what I mean? Like I, I know what, you know, I'm very good at it. So yeah, my wife always says, she goes, why would we go out when you make the best martinis? Which I take that as a nice compliment. That's a very nice compliment. What are your other specialties? I make a great Negroni. Um, mm. That's wonderful. Although I'm taking a break from Negronis because um, last Father's Day, I had my entire family over for a beautiful Father's Day, um, uh, whatever, celebration by the pool. And I was making Negronis. That was like the theme of the thing was Negronis. I think it was because we had just gotten back from Italy maybe or something. I was like really feeling Negronis and um, drinking them all day. And then after everybody left, I said to my wife, I do not think I should have had that third Negroni out by the pool. I don't feel so great. And she said to me, she's like, take a test. I was like, no, no, I don't have COVID. It's the Negroni by the pool. She's like, just be safe. Take the test. And it immediately was like positive. I was like, oh, no. So then I had to call my whole family and it was really embarrassing. And it turned out to be a super spreader event where everyone in my house, every family member got COVID. It was a catastrophe. It was a Negroni soaked catastrophe. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, yeah, so I think I've been on a Negroni break since then. I think I associate them with uh, giving my entire, everyone I love COVID. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, but that's, that's another one that I, that I, I'm not too shabby at. I, lo- I love a Negroni. I, the first time I had one, um, first time I had one was actually with Marla Sokoloff. And no she, way. Uh, yeah. She was like, you know, it's an acquired taste. Not everybody's going to like it. And I was like, no, I'm going to, if you're having it, I'll have it. And then I, I had it and I was like, it is an acquired taste, but I also <laughs> like, I just, never want to uh i just want to do whatever marla's doing so yeah, i drink the whole thing yeah she's <laughs> i drank the whole thing and now i really like it it did take me a couple of sips to like get into the taste of it but they're yeah. i love them now yeah oh, they're so good they really if you mix them just right and they're very easy because it's equal parts you know what i mean so it's not like a little you know an ounce of this and two ounces of this it's just literally it's like bam 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 three things and you're done yeah yeah uh, Wonderful. Nice piece of orange. So good. Maybe that's what I want. You know what? Maybe we'll have them all. Yeah. If I had known, we could have had that during this podcast. We could have been sipping cocktails. Although it's, it is noon. Yeah. Next time we'll, we'll record later in the day. I have to go to my son's soccer game and I don't think that would be a great way to show up. It's certainly a way to show up. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Sure. It's happened Um, before. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, what is your most used GIF? Oh God, I definitely use Full House ones a lot. You know what I mean? Because it's sort of funny to send someone a "You Got It, Dude" or whatever. Yeah. And there's one of me and DJ where we're both going like that. You know, where we're both seeing. Oh, you know what? I think it was when I can't remember. I think it was when Andrea kissed Jody or something. There was like a big kiss on the show, and me and DJ were like, "Whoa!" And it's like so. There's this surprised look one and then uh god you know but those are the ones i use uh often i don't know actually hold on i'm checking i'm checking right okay. now what's right. the, i'm to see the last one i sent oh i i send my wife old man ones a lot too just because i'm her old man 
<laughs> you're, but I feel like you're not that old. I know. I just like to say I am. Yeah. I feel like I'm sort of easing myself into it. Are you? Do you feel like you live an old man's lifestyle? <sighs> no, definitely not. I wish I did. I'm always busy. I've got a teenage son who runs me ragged, a dog. I'm always chasing around. I got a busy family life, you know, busy with work and everything. No, it's de- it's definitely not an old man. I'm definitely, you know, it's funny actually Dan Fogelman said to me. He said, "You should he's really into golf lately and he said, "You should um learn how to play golf." And I was like, "Dan, you know I suck at sports. I'm not good at anything involving a ball. Like, you know, why would you even suggest that?" He said, "Cuz in a few years when your son goes to college, you are going to have the biggest midlife crisis of all time. So you oh need, and he's like, you're going to need to fill up that time with something like you need more extracurricular activities because you're going to lose your mind. So, and <laughs> so it's true. It's like, it's funny. My life is very full right now, but like, yeah, I definitely spend a lot of time staring at the ceiling, like scared of someday when it's not. <laughs> I love that. That's Dan's pitch to you because he has a, a toddler. <laughs> I know it's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's the busiest human being in the planet. You know, I mean, yeah. he has a, a television empire, a movie empire, and a yeah. wonderful wife and a child, and just like the you know sweetest kid in the world. Yeah, I mean, just a yeah, he's a wonderful guy, and he's yeah. so busy. Both things are absolutely true. Yeah. His wife is also very wonderful. She because yeah. um, she was she was on This Is Us. Yeah, and I don't. I don't know how this happened. Certainly, she was not start doing this, and uh, I think she's just. I think I was like, this is hilarious and I'm going to continue to do this. And I think she probably at some point was like, this is a weird thing that's happening now, but for some, and I truly can't tell you why this started, but for some reason, the last season of this is us, um, when I would every once in a while, she would take a paper script and I would, for some reason, when I was there that it needed to get sent down to her, I would print it, send it with, um, a, the worst picture of me as a kid that I could find somehow be in there too. And I don't know why that would be. And it was also like such a weird thing that I would have to print it at the color printer that everybody has access to, but I didn't want anybody. It was like, I don't want people in the office to see this like weird picture of me. And I don't even know why I'm doing this in the first place. So I would just like wait by the printer and be like, okay, I got it. (laughs) I don't know why I, uh, who knows what she thought. Oh my God. That's really funny. I will. I think I might, I'm, I might see her tonight, so if I do, I'll remind her. That's really okay. funny. That's so funny. <laughs> should I send you with, should I messenger to you a printed out picture of me as a kid that you can... Yeah, absolutely. The, no, but you should text me one for sure, and I'll show it to her. I'll be like, oh, Kim wanted me to show you this. <laughs> <laughs> She'll be like, well, I don't know how this started, and what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> she's too nice to be like, this is fucking weird, dude. Stop doing yeah, this. Oh, my God, she's so sweet. She's great. She's really funny. There was one day we were working. It was after the strike. I guess it was in the fall. I can't remember when the strike ended, but it was really hot. And we were in this temporary writer's room and it was small and we had had like Chinese food for lunch. It was small and hot and smelly and gross. We were all in there. The writers were all like just not at our best. And Kate came by to visit the room and she walks in. She's like, hi, everybody. And like she had this look on her face like, oh, God, this is where you, this is terrible. You and we were all like so ashamed. <laughs> it's, oh. it's very glamorous, and we were all like just like sitting there in this smelly room with Chinese food all over our faces. <laughs> I like that, you know. I, I I've seen both sides: the the glamorous acting side and the down and dirty TV writing side of the business. Yeah. I I love them both very much. 
I like that the down and dirty TV right inside is where you're like, yeah, this is yeah, that's the, that's what, those what are I people. want. Okay, let me ask you one last question. What is something you'll never change your mind about? Something I'll never change my mind about. Wow, that's really interesting. That's a great question. Wow. I, you know what? Wow. I was not prepared. I know. <laughs> um, uh, I have a hard and fast rule to never prepare for podcasts, and I will nice. never change my I will Good for never, you. You're doing it. <laughs> gosh, what will I never change my mind about? Wow. Hmm. Like something that is just official, that's locked. That's it. That's the one. Yeah. I don't know. There are very few things in life you can really know that, you can really say that about, you know. As I get older, I realize that more and more. Um, I love my family, and that's not going to change. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find Scott on Instagram at Scott Weinger. The show is at Kim Moffat is a fan on Instagram and TikTok. If you're looking for me, I am at Kim Moffat on Instagram and Twitter and at Kim Moffat is here on TikTok. If you have a moment, please rate and review the show because it really does help people find these episodes. And um, that's it. Thanks so much. Have a great week.